Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. My guest today freely admits she's a difficult patient. I'm sure she's the type of patient clinicians dread, needy, overly sensitive, fearful, questioning, distrustful. But she's not selfish. In fact, she very much wants to improve healthcare for herself and others. My guest wants providers to understand the causes that manifest into effects in the exam room. In doing so, she pushes her clinicians to be better. Medicine is both an art and a science. Today, we're delving into the art of medicine. Next on Sound Practice. My guest today is Brenda Denzler. She is a writer and editor. Ms. Denzler is the author of The Lure of the Edge, Scientific Passions, Religious Beliefs, and the Pursuit of UFOs. She's also written about her experience with our healthcare system. Brenda Densworth, welcome to Sound Practice. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm pleased to be here. I'm thrilled that uh, thrilled that you're you're with us. Now, as you know, this is a podcast of the American Association for Physician Leadership, and the AAPL recently published a book of advice for for doctors about how to to deal with difficult patients. And maybe some of the people that are listening to our our podcast. Um, caught an episode where we we talked to the author of that book, but I understand the title caught your eye and made you contact uh, the author. Um, what's up with that? Well, um, I am kind of the poster child for the difficult patient, I do believe. Uh, and so when I saw Dr. Nadorf's uh, book title uh, and it realized it was by an MD or a DO, I, I thought, okay, well, she's talking about me. And so, of course, I had to get the book and read it. Uh, I am, I myself have had an essay published on the MedPage Today website called I Am Your Difficult Patient. So, you know, the connection was right there. Well, it sounds like fair <laughs> warning to all providers, right? Right, uh, right. <laughs> that you go their, their, yeah, their way. So, I, are, yeah. do you think that there are many difficult patients out there? Well, Yes and no. Um, I started a uh, Facebook support group for people who had undergone uh, the kind of trauma that I underwent. And we started out with four people and have been gaining about one and a half people per day in membership. We're up to about a thousand members now. And there's always, always more. Um I, Dr. Nador's book is wonderful. I love the way she talks to physicians and helps them uh, think about how they think and how they behave. Uh, but it, one of the things it misses is the reason that me and all these other people are such difficult patients. And that is because we have been traumatized uh, by uh, our past medical treatments. We don't really call ourselves difficult patients, but we know that uh, in, in the medical mind, for the medical people who try to care for us, we can be that for a doctor or a nurse or a technician. 
And uh, what we call ourselves is treatment traumatized because we have been traumatized by our medical treatments. And um, we, we and our medical teams have to cope with that. Medical, we call it medical PTSD because treatment traumatized medical PTSD is an awfully long term. So we just go with medical PTSD. It's not an official diagnostic category in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, uh, but unofficially, uh, it's uh, widely recognized that people can be medically traumatized. Usually when people talk about this uh, medical PTSD, they're talking about uh, being traumatized by a diagnosis or having had a heart attack or being uh, being diagnosed as HIV positive or having a, a car accident, you know, when you're rolling end over end in your car and you realize that you're in a bad way. That can be traumatizing if you're shot or you're stabbed or you have an anaphylactic reaction. All of those things can be traumatizing and have a long-term traumatic effect on a patient. Uh, Most of the people who are said to have medical PTSD are like this. It's a diagnosis or an injury that's traumatized them. Now, those of us who... uh, I'm talking about here uh, may or may not have been traumatized by those things, but uh, for sure we've been traumatized by what was done to us within the world of medicine as a result of our diagnosis or injury. It's our medical treatments that have traumatized us. What this means is that we're terrified at the thought of, or in the presence of doctors, nurses, hospitals, pretty much any and all medical settings, and the people who work in those settings. The example I like to give is from a person in our Facebook support group who said that she'd been bitten by a rattlesnake a few days earlier, and she told us that she actually had to stop and think about whether she wanted to go to the emergency room for treatment or just take her chances with the snake bite all on her own. She was just that scared of having to interact with doctors and hospitals. It was the doctor on one hand and the rattlesnake on the other. Uh, and and true story, it's, it's just amazing. Do you think that it is uh, very well appreciated by the medical community, uh, the manifestations of trauma that you're talking about? I don't think so. Uh, I went through cancer treatment in 2009-2010 for inflammatory breast cancer. And I can say with absolute certainty that no matter how often or how well I tried to explain to my treatment team what was going on with me and why I was not their typical cancer patient, They never really got it. It's like they couldn't grasp, they couldn't believe that I was afraid of them just about as much as I was afraid of the cancer. And I think people in the healing professions have a hard time getting this. 
because they see themselves as the people riding in on the white horse, wearing the white hat. They're going to help. They're going to make everything better. And for them to think of themselves as uh, that the people they're trying to help don't see them as wearing the white hat and, and riding the white horse. Uh, the people they're trying to help see them as scary, har potentially harmful, potentially dangerous people, and they're afraid. That's hard. Are, it's got to be hard. Are dentists better at dealing with this than other areas of medicine? I'm thinking specifically about sedation dentistry because there are so many people that are fearful of going to the dentist. It seems like maybe that's an area that has uh, come to grips with the uh, the fear that its uh, patients have. I, I think that is one area where the idea does have some traction that uh, that that uh, it's the treatment that's causing the trauma. Uh, but there are people, myself, for instance, uh, who, because of my medical trauma, I don't like sedation because I can't protect myself if I'm sedated. I can't protect myself against potential harm. I can't speak up for myself. And so while dentists probably do have an inside track on understanding what's going on, um, sedation isn't necessarily the answer, even for a dentist, it may not be the answer. So let's explore some of the answers. Okay. What do you what do you recommend for um let's take your example of the uh the person that was uh, bitten by a rattlesnake. Mm -hmm. Um how do we how do we help that person besides obviously um the, the medical care for the snake bite? Right. Well, the first thing that healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, and et cetera need to remember is that the question they need to be asking themselves and possibly asking their patient isn't, what is wrong with you? Rather, the question is, what happened to you? Because that's what's really driving the behaviors that they are finding problematic in the patient. Something happened to them to make them behave this way. They're not just morally deficient people who could and should behave better. Second, uh, for about all of us who have been traumatized, we need as much control over the medical situation as we can possibly have without compromising our safety. Um, for instance, being willing to flex some standard operating procedure in order to address the fears of your patient. I found when I was in cancer treatment that it's like there's this recipe and this procedure, and it was like pulling teeth to get any kind of flexibility, even in terms of things that were not really directly related to saving my life. It was more a procedure, but this is what we always do. Well, yeah, but you could do it some other way, and I would feel much better if you did. It's very difficult to get that to happen. So try to give the patient as much control 
as you possibly can. Uh, try to always tell them up front what you're planning to do, especially for people who have been forcibly restrained by previous medical providers or have some other kind of trauma that's adding to this before you touch them, before you, you know, let them know. And I think that's pretty standard practice now, at least in the group of physicians that I have dealt with. It seems like everybody's getting really savvy to the idea that you need to tell people when you're going to uh, touch them because touch may be uh, a frightening and triggering thing. Um, and, um, don't try to fix them. Don't try to blame them. Uh, don't shame them, uh, because of their fears and their behaviors at the time that we have our freakouts in front of you, we really are doing the best that we can in that moment. And often when the moment's over, we feel embarrassed at how, We've lost control of our emotions and we've lost control of ourselves in your presence. Um, we feel badly enough about our terror. Don't don't shame us for 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 having those terrors. Um, but at the same time, uh, don't try to fix us in that moment. Just be with us acknowledge us, you know, give us as much understanding as you can and sit with us for just a moment, acknowledge our fears and say, I'm so sorry those things happened to you in the past. I don't want this experience here today to add to the trauma that you felt in the past. So let's talk about what we can do right now to move on and try to resolve this medical problem that you've brought today. What uh, what would make you feel a little bit better so that we can proceed and, and discuss this? How, how would you like to go? Some people's medical trauma starts at an early age. And I believe that you've said that you had some early childhood trauma. Right. Could, you, could you talk about that for me, please? Uh, my trauma began when I was five years old. Uh, I had, um, well, I, I, I had twin sisters that were born when I was three years old, and they died right after birth. Apparently, what I got out of that experience was an understanding that hospitals are where you go to die because the babies didn't come home like they were supposed to. So as a three-year-old, that's a message I got just from life circumstances. When I was five years old, I had to have my tonsils out. Uh, I was fine then, but when they took me, my mother was allowed to stay with me, which is probably why I was fine. Uh, when they took me into the operating room, I can remember lying on the table and they put this nasty, foul-smelling screen thing. It looked like the screen on our windows at home. 
And they put that, it was like half of a tennis ball or something. And they put that down over my face and my nose and mouth. And, and it, oh, it smelled disgusting. And so I pushed them away, you know, oh, get that away from me. So then they held my arms down and they put it over my face again. And so I whipped my head from side to side so that I wouldn't have to breathe that thing. And so they held my head so that I couldn't, couldn't move. And I remember holding my breath, but of course you can only hold your breath for so long. And, um, uh, given the, uh, things that happened later, I think that I was not completely sedated for then I was given ether. I know that I don't think I was completely sedated because I used to have a recurring nightmare where people were going to do something to me for my own good. And they weren't talking to me about it. They didn't ask me. They didn't tell me. They just did it to me. They were going to do it to me. And there was nothing that I could do to stop it. And I'd have this recurring nightmare over and over again. And I would wake up in a blind panic and sometimes sobbing. And I never knew why I had the nightmare. But I think that this was the start of the nightmare. The nightmare was reinforced when 12 weeks after the tonsillectomy, I mean, the nightmare scenario was reinforced when 12 weeks after I had the tonsillectomy, I was admitted to the hospital with infectious hepatitis. The doctor didn't tell my parents until much later. But when he admitted me to the hospital, he didn't think I would live. Uh, I was that sick. And uh, I was in isolation for six weeks. My parents were not allowed to stay with me. Now, mind you, at the age of five, I had never been away from home without my parents before. And all of a sudden, here I am. I'm sick. Uh, I'm homesick. My mommy and daddy aren't there. Uh, I'm not allowed to go home, and I don't quite understand why not. You know, uh, this message that something is wrong with me, it felt like a punishment. It's, you know, it felt like a moral judgment. Something is wrong with you. You can't go home. It didn't feel like a medical statement. It felt like a moral judgment. My behavior, something about who I was, was wrong. And I had to stay in the hospital because of that. So uh, believe it or not, after I did recover, uh, amazingly enough, and the next 50 years, I remembered the incidents, but I had absolutely no emotion, no emotional memories whatsoever attached to what happened. And when I was diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer in 2009, two days later, um, I was freaking out because I had to have a port put in. And when I realized what a port was and what it would do, I was totally losing it. Cancer treatment was a wild ride. It was a wild ride for me. It was a wild ride for my treatment team. And uh, 
since that time, since I have been lucky enough to have been, uh, as far as we know, at, so far I'm NED, uh, I've been trying to understand treatment-related medical trauma and trying to help the medical community to understand that this does exist. Um, you can cause it. You can not cause it, uh, but just be the recipient of it when somebody who has been treatment traumatized walks into your hospital or clinic. Um, you can make it worse because you do and say all the wrong things. I'm interested in the Facebook group. How many of those individuals do you believe uh, the traumatic onset was in childhood? Uh, I would say maybe 15 or 20%. And some of the people in that group are parents of children. And the parents see their children being traumatized by their medical treatments. And the parents are getting snicky report, um, comments from doctors and nurses. You need to control her better. She need you need to just make her settle down here so we can do this. And um, so sometimes our, some of our members are the parents of children. And how many do you think experience um, trauma because of uh, a lack of, as you spoke of, a lack of control, feeling that you were uh, had had no control whatsoever of uh, of of the situation. Well, the the ability to be made to feel as if you have no control is not confined to patients who are children. Patients who are adults are very routinely um, put on the the medical treatment conveyor belt and uh, deprived of any true sense that they have any kind of say. And in what goes on, um, so it asking how many people in my group have been traumatized in childhood, like I was, is a completely different question than asking how many. It was intended to be a separate question. Okay, that, that's okay. where that's where I'm okay. going with this. Okay, uh, okay, uh, I I would say eighty five to ninety percent of all of us. Uh, the control at not feeling that we have control and, and we're not listened to repeatedly, mm -hmm. systematically. Uh, it, it's a huge issue for 85, 90% of us. It's huge. And does do those feelings come about when dealing with third party payers? Because for me, in the entire healthcare system, the part that I feel like I am least heard and least considered a person is when I deal with my health insurance company? Um, for some people, it is. But for most people in our group, it's not a question of, I can't believe my insurance company won't allow this or won't do that. It's the stories they come in telling are stories of their interactions with their doctors and their nurses. Uh, now. It's possible that in some cases, 
the actions of a doctor or nurse are taken because of the uh, requirements of the insurance company. But as far as I can tell, most of the time, those are not the kinds of things that uh, are happening. It's, 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 it really is um, related to the behavior of the doctor or nurse. Okay. And are there members in, in the group that are part of the healthcare system? I'm saying, yes. do we have, do you have doctors, nurses that have been traumatized by the system or by a uh, provider? Yeah, I, uh, in our group, we, we do not have, we do have nurses. We do not, to my knowledge, we do not have any MDs or DOs, but I have read books written by MDs or DOs in which they talk about their treatment-related trauma at the hands of their colleagues. And it's just... Um, yeah, it, it is, even happens to doctors and nurses. Is there effective therapy for this condition? I don't know, and I'm not sure that anybody does for sure. I think it can certainly, in many cases, be mitigated to where their reactions uh, are not as extreme and not as difficult for the patient to control or for the doctor and nurse to help the patient manage in the moment. I think those can be mitigated and and pulled back a little with some time. But uh, as far as something to uh, get rid of it, I don't know. Medications will help with the anxiety piece of it, but it doesn't make it all go away. Um, different kinds of talk therapy or cognitive therapy can help the patient figure out how to manage themselves, their own behaviors and their own thoughts and can be useful. I've been in talk therapy ever since I realized that I had this because it was pretty, I was at risk of being kicked out of my hospital because of, of the reactions I was having. So, um, but another big piece of what is therapeutic is the reactions of the medical system going forward. Part of the reason that I am able to manage better today than I did 15, 14 years ago is because while I have had some experiences with doctors since then that were definitely not what they should have been. I have also had a few experiences with a few doctors that have helped me see that sometimes it, it can work. Sometimes it can be okay. And that in itself is healing. I don't think in my case, I'll ever be completely healed but I think I'm better and I look forward to being better yet as the years go by. Do you know if medical schools are focused on this and training 
physicians for this uh, to recognize and, and deal with uh, situations that occur where people have been traumatized in the past? Uh, I can say with almost 100% certainty that the answer is no. Uh, but a couple of treatment traumatized colleagues and I are working on a, uh, a learning module for doctors, nurses, and techs to explain to them what treatment-related medical trauma is, how to recognize it. If you've got a patient before you that's behaving squirrely, for some reason is difficult, or perhaps is absolutely too passive. They're so passive and you think, oh, they're just, they're so wonderful and quiet and compliant. Maybe they're just terrified out of their mind. And you're reading that as, as compliant and it's terror. Uh, so you can, so the, the, the learning module will help doctors and nurses to try to recognize that, to help, help them know what to do in the moment, to try to manage the situation with the patient and help them understand how to have a medical relationship with that patient going forward for, for the future, how to manage the medical PTSD in that patient over the long term, not just in the moment. And we are hoping we're it's we're, we've about got it done. We're hoping to uh, make it available and promote it widely. We're hoping to get some continuing education credits for people who will uh, take the course. It, it it would just be a short online thing, as so often happens in the medical field. We're also going to create uh, a learning unit for patients that will do the same kind of thing, but from the patient end, here's how to recognize your symptoms, your coping strategies, here's how to deal with the medical world, medical people, how do you interact with them? So we're hoping to do the same thing for the patient side of things. And I will say a little bit of shameless self-promotion here that I have written a book about my experience having treatment-related medical trauma, and then getting a kind of cancer that would surely kill me. Inflammatory breast cancer has a, a sorry five-year survival rate. And how I negotiated, how we all, my treatment team, me, we all succeeded and failed in negotiating what we had to do to make it through cancer treatment. My guest has been Brenda Densler. Thank you so much for your time bringing up an important uh, topic that needs more attention. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. My thanks to Brenda Densler. Her courage to speak of her issues with health care is to be applauded. She reminds us of the unseen suffering endured by some patients. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. 
Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Pat is holy cow. That man Robin. Rick Kapow.